BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The Oak Fire is currently the largest fire in the state, burning west of Yosemite National Park. During a packed town hall last night, officials said the fire slowed down slightly yesterday, but it's still 0% contained, with most of the activity in the Sierra National Forest. Dean Gold is with the U.S. Forest Service. He says the area's history of large fires might actually help. For instance, if the Oak Fire runs into the burn scar of the 2018 Ferguson Fire. That likely isn't going to stop this, but it's certainly going to slow it down and give us much more of a fighting chance to get uh, the treatments in that we need to to really get uh, that portion of the incident uh, wrapped up. Over 3,500 residents have been evacuated, and many more are on evacuation advisory. And now, a monkeypox update. L.A. County health officials closed the online waiting list for the monkeypox vaccine Thursday, just one day after it went live. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, some qualified people are being turned away at vaccine sites and given conflicting advice. L.A. resident Taylor Slingerland qualifies to get a monkeypox vaccine. L.A. County expanded eligibility to gay and bisexual men and transgender people who take PrEP, an HIV prevention drug. But when he got to the vaccine site, they said he couldn't get the shot. And they said, oh, actually, uh, we just now have modified the criteria. And they gave me a form that they said I would have to bring to my doctor to complete to say that I had other conditions to, to meet the eligibility requirements. But that wasn't right. People who take PrEP still qualify, but they have to get an eligibility text from the L.A. County Health Department in order to get the shot. Walk-ups are discouraged. As of Friday, those with a text faced long lines at the monkeypox vaccine sites. State health officials have called on the federal government to send hundreds of thousands of doses, but L.A. County will only receive another 9,800 this week. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. 
Two children in the United States, including one in California, have been diagnosed with monkeypox. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the children are in good health and receiving treatment. How they caught the disease is still being investigated, but officials think it was through household transmission. One of the kids is a toddler in California, and the other is an infant who is not a U.S. resident but was tested while in Washington, D.C. Other details haven't been disclosed. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. In the Bay Area, truckers at the Port of Oakland continue to protest for the second straight week over AB5, the state law that reclassifies many independent contractors as employees. But truckers have agreed not to block access to terminals and plan instead to rally in designated free speech zones set up by the port. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. Randeep Dillon drives a truck at the Port of Oakland, and he worries that being forced to become an employee would take away his independence. Even though I own my own truck, I pay for diesel, I pay for insurance, I'm going to have to work under somebody else. But he says not enough truckers showed up in the early hours to protest and keep the momentum going. Many want to go back to work and feel pressure from the port. I mean, the port's not wrong. They want their operations to continue. UCLA law professor Scott Cummings has studied labor movements and the trucking industry. He says it's important to remember that working conditions for truckers are way worse today than in the 1970s, when most port truckers were union employees with high wages. The real take-home pay of these drivers has shrunk quite dramatically. The structural shift has really been to degrade the conditions of drivers from a labor standpoint. Port officials say they're continuing to work with the governor to address the need for resources in the trucking community. For the California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. In other news, the Oakland City Council is expected to vote tomorrow to urge state lawmakers to put a measure on the ballot that would officially repeal Prop 8. KQED's Rachel Myro has more. A federal judge struck down Prop 8, but the 2008 voter-approved initiative to ban same-sex marriage is still in the California Constitution. State lawmakers are talking about bringing a repeal before voters, but they're not moving fast enough, says Oakland City Council President Pro Tem Sheng Tao. Putting ourselves on the record and making sure that we put some pressure on the state legislature and governor is incredibly important at this point in time because there's just a lot of fears right now, and I feel that it should have been put on the 2022 ballot. Some fear the U.S. Supreme Court might overturn its earlier decision enshrining marriage equality, in which case there is a risk Prop 8 could become law again. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myra. 
And down south, Customs and Border Protection say a record number of migrants have been injured while trying to cross the border illegally into San Diego County. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis says most of these injuries are being attributed to Trump's border wall. Mexican officials say that Donald Trump's border wall is killing migrants here in San Diego County. Carlos Gonzalez Gutierrez is the Consul General of Mexico in San Diego. He says 80% of all migrant injuries happened when people fell off the 30-foot wall. Nearly 250 Mexican nationals were injured while trying to cross the border in the fiscal year 2021, compared to just under 200 the year before. I am convinced that the decision to raise the wall up to 30 feet did not stop the migration flows, nor did it deviate them necessarily. But it certainly increased the number of people who were seriously injured in their attempt to cross. The Border Patrol's acting deputy chief patrol agent, Patricia McGurk-Daniel, blames smugglers for trying to profit from desperate migrants. I can tell you that whether it's a wall, whether it's the ocean, whether it's the desert terrain, whether it's the mountains where frigid temperatures can drop and people can get hypothermia, smugglers will continue to push their commodities through without any disregard for the health and safety of those that they push through into our communities. They just don't care. That was KPBS reporter Gustavo Solis reporting from San Diego. In other news, Nevada's Lake Mead, which is fed by the Colorado River, has long played a critical role in supplying much of California's water. While it's no secret all of the West is gripped by drought, new images of Lake Mead released by NASA are providing the clearest picture yet of the dire situation. KCRW's Matt Gillum has more. Contained by the mighty Hoover Dam, the water of Lake Mead helps quench the thirst of California, Nevada, Arizona, and parts of Mexico. And if you look at the satellite photos of the reservoir from the year 2000, it looks like it's up to the job. From space, the lake looks like a deep sapphire peace sign in the middle of a dusty beige desert. But that was then. The new photos from NASA taken this month reveal an anemic Lake Mead. The northern arm of the lake has withered dramatically. What was deep blue in the photos from 20 years ago has now been reclaimed by the arid desert. On its eastern flank, the waters that comprised Greg Basin have receded to something more akin to a pond. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation says the reservoir is at 27% of capacity. That's the lowest it's been since 1937, when the lake was still being filled. A glaring white ring around the canyons of the lake shows where the water once was. In the last two years alone, the lake has gone down by some 160 feet. The Bureau says another dry year could see an additional 20 feet added to that total. During a Senate hearing last month, the commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation told leaders significantly steeper cuts in water deliveries are needed to keep reservoirs like Lake Mead viable. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. And finally, this month, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services announced its first-ever Citizenship Ambassador Initiative. Of the eight leaders selected from across the country, two are from my home region, Fresno County. KVPR's Esther Quintanilla has more. Pao Yang was only six years old when his family fled Laos during its brutal civil war in the 1970s. His family sought out refuge in various camps throughout Thailand. It was a nightmare for them. They, they continued to live that till this day. A few years later, Yang's family safely migrated to the United States. In 1983, Yang's parents started searching for their separated relatives who also made it to America. And we found out that a lot of them were here in Fresno and Central California. It took Yang's family 20 years to become legal U.S. citizens. 
we didn't have the knowledge, we didn't have the education, we didn't know how to navigate the uh, naturalization process. Now, Yang is the president at the Fresno Center, where he helps people of all nationalities do just that, navigate the naturalization process. He works closely with Margarita Rocha, who directs Centro La Familia, which does similar work for the Latino community in Fresno. I'm very connected to some of the struggles that families experience as immigrants because I lived it with my parents, not knowing the depth of what they were actually going through. Both Rocha and Yang are going to be taking their work to a much larger scale. They were appointed as citizenship ambassadors for the federal government. Overall, there were eight ambassadors selected nationwide. Three are from California and two are from Fresno County. Details about the position are still to come. Sharon Rummery is a spokesperson for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. The uh, citizenship ambassadors will work closely with the USCIS staff in spreading the word about the naturalization process and encouraging people in their community who might be eligible to apply for citizenship. Rummery says the ambassadors were nominated and selected based on their commitment to their communities. In this case, both Rocha and Yang are determined to help their community overcome barriers that prevent them from becoming citizens. Those challenges include the cost of applying for citizenship, fear of deportation, and language barriers. Rocha says another challenge can be preparing for the civics exam. That's another process and quite painful for some people. Very anxiety caused, as any one of us can be when we're going to go through exams. And that's where the ambassadors come in. According to the Public Policy Institute of California, the state is home to over 11 million immigrants. More than half of those people are already naturalized citizens. California itself is a leader in the immigrant population and the number of people that can become naturalized and, you know, then be an active participant in the civics of our government and vote. That's critically important. Yet there are still thousands of people in rural California who could be eligible for naturalization. According to Yang, the ambassadorships are the federal government's way of reaching out to the immigrant population. To get two of us selected is a sign and a confirmation that they are listening to a lot of the advocacy groups here in the Central Valley. Rocha and Yang will be starting their ambassadorships at the end of July. After that, they will be continuing to serve the community at the Fresno Center and Centro La Familia. I am so honored and I am proud to be selected as an ambassador to tell my story and to help our immigrant community so that they also can share their stories and also become naturalized U.S. citizens. For the California Report, I'm Esther Quintanilla in Fresno County. And that's the California Report for Monday, July 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com Stanford HealthCare alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.